Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where the world is never enough. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Oh, but I like the world sometimes. I know. Today we're talking about, like, world building, setting, kind of, like, world stuff in general. And this was kind of a topic that, I don't know, we were kicking around, and I don't know exactly where we landed on it. So we're just going to kind of talk and see what happens. But you had some thoughts up front, right? Yeah, because, like, I've taught literature for so many years, and one of the things that I always try to t- I always tried to teach my students was that you can look at stories from so many different perspectives, and, you know, you've always heard that there are so- there's only a certain number of ways that you can tell stories and there's only a certain number of stories after a while yada 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 and I've always looked at it as though there are really two kinds of stories that are being told all the other extraneous details are completely disregarded that I've always thought of it as there are either these big idea stories these high concept stories and then there are character stories and it doesn't matter like different people can like different aspects of each of them but for the most part we're drawn in on one aspect or the other something is either this really fantastic idea that you're writing a story about like larry niven's ring world he had these cool mathematical concepts that he was writing about and the characters were just kind of there so that he could explain this big high concept idea of a of a ring world and then there are character stories like battlestar galactica where yeah there are robots and yeah they're in outer space but what really matters are those people and what's going on and you attach yourself to more of the the characters than you do the setting so the idea that in my mind is that those are the two dichotomies and yeah you can have a cool story with cool characters and a neat setting but rarely are they going to be equal that one or the other is going to be in a much greater proportion than the other yeah that's that's really interesting i hadn't thought about that but as soon as you said it it was kind of like that totally makes sense to me oh and there's times when the setting can actually be a character in the show or in the the media because you have things like middle earth that is a character in and of itself you have the fight the serenity in firefly or the enterprise in star trek where these are characters that you feel for when something happens to them but Often it's just like a Brandon Sanderson book that I'm sure we'll talk about later where it's that setting that's not so much a character in itself. It's just this really cool place to be. But but uh, the Millennium Falcon's another example that I'm sure we'll talk about where it's a character, not so much a setting. One of my questions here was like, how much can setting really like keep you invested in a world? And I guess part of this is coming off of like last week, me playing Mass Effect all the way through, even though I yeah. thought the game was kind of eh. You know, just because like yeah. I love the trilogy that led up to it. And then, you know, it's it's the same world. It's a new universe, but it's the same setting, basically. And like, that's what kept me through that whole game. And then there's things like Star Wars. Like you guys know, I read absolutely every Star Wars novel that comes out. The adult novels anyway, not the all the little kid novels, but they're not all good. A lot of them are. <laughs> if, if there weren't good ones in there, I wouldn't be reading them, but they're not all good. But I do read every single one cover to cover because it's a setting that I love, you know? And sometimes you hit on characters that they put in. It's just like, well, that is certainly somebody to move this story forward. But there's a lot of cool, you know, history or knickknacks that happen. And it's just like, oh, that's a cool anecdote. Kind of like the Aftermath trilogy, where those vignettes, even if you don't care about the characters in the main story, the vignettes and interludes between explain the world so much better 
that it's worth reading for those where it's a, those are setting books for me it has to be a really fantastic setting to get me invested in it over characters that there has to be a lot put in that there has to be so much detail that it feels truly organic for me to fall in on a setting alone and that's kind of the way star wars is for me that there are aspects of that and the mythology in the jedi stuff is specifically that i'm truly invested in far more than many of the characters sure yeah and i'm i think i'm that way too some of the characters i'm very invested in and then other ones in star wars are kind of like take them or leave them but the setting overall really speaks to me and i mean there's the opposite of this too sometimes you hit a setting that just makes you like bounce off of it hard super hard yeah for me that's like real world settings i just i just can't do it like i i use media as an escape like i'm very much about escapism in media so real world stories just don't do it for me um if it is set in the real world it really has to have a strong twist in there so like something like dresden right dresden is set in chicago in modern day but there's a whole secret world that has to do with wizards and you know all of this magic in the world that actually exists and it becomes a story about magic essentially it's not a story about chicago you know yeah where there are fantasy novels that happen to be in chicago yes where there's an urban fantasy that where you take a typical you take general genre tropes and then mix them together yeah and you know people were recommending i was talking to a few people online um and i've, I've heard so many recommendations for like serial and like true crime stuff from people because they know i love podcasts and those are supposed to be just like super high production value podcasts and i just can't do it because of the setting like i just i can't invest in that kind of thing it's really hard for me to invest in that kind of podcast as well but you know going on a tangent here about that i really think you should listen to the new one s town not because of the story not because of anything else but because it takes place about an hour and a half from where i am and it's just like directly south of where I live. And it sounds like all the characters talking, all the interviews are like the people. I, it's like I went to high school with these people. And it's so funny on on listening to that, that I've had friends this weekend go to that town that it takes place in just to see what's going on. And it's it's very funny where I don't usually get into that, but there has to be something to draw me in. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is down the road. I'm going to listen to this. Yeah. And I mean, it's not that all real world things I completely discount because there's some historical stuff that I find very interesting, but it's it's enough like of a departure from my day to day that yeah. it becomes interesting. Like I'm thinking in, in terms of like Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, it's probably one of my favorite podcasts ever. Right. It's amazing, but it's history and it's far enough removed history. You know, if if it was stuff about like things that had happened a year ago or two years ago, I wouldn't be as interested. You know, it's things like, World War Two and like ancient wars and just ancient cultures and things like that where, yeah, it's a real world, but it's it's not the world that I live in. Does that make exactly. sense? Exactly. That's what I was about to say, because you're using it still as escapism because it is not the reality that you're experiencing every day. Yes, completely. And you have one like this, too. I know. I know that you do not like high fantasy. I hate traditional high fantasy, like Tolkien-esque, like traditional Dungeons and Dragons high fantasy I despise because it's so traditional that I can appreciate where it comes from. I love Tolkien. I love Dungeons and Dragons. But because there's such a just a myriad of 
Me Too wannabe clones that don't do anything new with it, that they spell orc with a K, and that's the only difference. There are just so many just generic clones that I burned out so hard that traditional high fantasy has to do something really fantastic to get me invested in it. And even characters a lot of times can't get me through that because even as cool as like Game of Thrones is, the setting is neat, but it is not so far removed from traditional fantasy that I can sit and read those books that the way he writes it feels so traditional, which is the point, and everybody loves it. It's just it hits on so many of the things that I've bounced off of that I can't read it, but I can watch it because the writing style and the and the characters and the setting all kind of hit that just perfect pressure point of, nope, not going to read this, but I can watch it. It's interesting because, well, we're going to get into examples next anyway, but... I want to talk about Star Wars and like one of the reasons that Star Wars appeals to me is because it's basically like a sci-fi setting that's set up to do fantasy stories. Yeah. And it's interesting because like you hate high fantasy, but you actually like the structure of a fantasy story because you like Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And like my novels that I wrote, the Technomage books are just Star Wars style science fantasy that they're that's something that I really like because fantasy narratives are super interesting but so often you have that world of okay here are these elves that live in the forest and they live forever and they're you know androgynous and sweet and nice but they could also be evil and then there are these ugly orcs that that are kind of either evil or barbaric but noble and they just hit all of these same things so i'm just like ugh. but the narrative that hero's quest narrative and the way that the arc tends to be set up as a journey and a quest that is super interesting to me so star wars just kind of hits on that and runs kind of the same way i was talking about last week with dune that it hits on a lot of the genre tropes that are traditional but also tells a really unique story as well yeah and i think that's like the core of what star wars appeals to me i mean there's a lot more than that just because my history with it like i've so invested in star wars now but i think at the core of it when i really try to think about it it's that you know it's a sci-fi setting that's not set up to tell sci-fi stories which is really weird but i love it Mm -hmm. it's set up for those fantasy stories but i mean there's lots of other examples of like world building that i know we wanted to hit on and really the the reason that we came up with this idea for an episode was because of Westworld. Like we're kind yeah. of overdue to talk about Westworld and we were going to talk about it right after we finished it and then other stuff came up and then it's it's been a little bit too long and we neither of us have had time to rewatch it. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to talk a little bit about like the setting and the story because like you said um it can be a story about like ideas or it can be a story about characters and i feel like westworld actually does a really good job of doing both of those things and it's like some episodes are very setting heavy and some episodes are very character heavy but mm-hmm. both of them just like hit so hard and it's like it's great i love that show and i loved what westworld did but i kind of disagree on it because i never cared about any of the characters individually. I cared about their arcs, but in terms of them being people and investing in them and wanting to know what was going on in their lives and where their arcs went, eh. 
I liked that they took a traditional Western setting and then used those genre tropes of black hats and white hats and theme parks and consumerism and just all of this with gamers and how we get into these virtual worlds and the ideas of of what is life and consciousness and all of this stuff that they tied directly into the as generic a Western setting as you could get. That it was like watching a a mo- postmodern science fiction story being set in an old, you know, Sergio Leone spaghetti Western. I I didn't care about the people. I cared about all of that. But that's what I've always cared about in literature as well. I'm a theorist and and, and narratologist. Well, okay, I, I'm always drawn to characters. I like setting too, but I'm so drawn to characters. And Westworld, I found myself not really caring about the humans. I cared about, like, the the other ones, you know, like the yeah. AI that slowly becomes, you know, whatever you want to call them as they're, like, slowly awakening. Right. But I cared about Maeve and I cared about Dolores a lot by the end of that show. And Okay, I'll grant you, I cared about Dolores. I will on that one. I do. I did care about what happened to her. Okay, but Maeve didn't work for you. Maeve didn't work for me much at all. It was like pretty much everybody else was they were there and they were interesting. Like I loved their stories. But at the end of the day, once I was figuring out what the maze was and how everything tied together, I was pretty much only invested in the Dolores and Billy narrative. Yeah, and that whole narrative as an arc is really good, too. But, like, the character I cared about it in the end was probably Dolores, was the one that I was, like, I was invested in her and I was invested in Maeve by the end of the show. But, like, the setting, like, you, I know you already kind of laid out what you like about it. I really like that it's almost a commentary on, like, gamers and consumerism and theme parks all at the same time. It sits in this weird spot of like and if you guys don't know by now, Westworld is it's basically you can pay a bunch of money to go to this Westworld theme park and do whatever you want. You know, there's like there's no restrictions on what you do. And as long as you're not doing it to other real people that are there and most of the park is populated by like animatronic robots that are essentially people like they're so good. The technology is so good that you can't tell the difference. And what. I like about it is that it is a direct analog to how people spend their time in sandbox games versus theme park MMOs. And if you want to read it in that way, you can. That it is a text that you can apply to so many different, like I said, analogs in in our particular community that we can relate to. And then it's kind of, in my mind, something that I have to take a step back and be like, oh, I do treat people in these online games like they're just other characters, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, I couldn't help seeing it that way the entire time. Like, yeah. just seeing so many gaming communities and so many that are, I mean, there's some that are positive, there are some that are just kind of neutral, and there's a lot of them that are toxic. And yeah. all of that is represented in Westworld. So I totally read into that take on it because, like you said, we're so into gaming as a culture. And, you know, it was interesting. Like, one of the most interesting things I saw in there that they didn't really expound on in the show it was just a side note was like there was a family at one point and they were just Mm -hmm. a family doing a like a family vacation in the old west to see what it would be like and it's like they weren't necessarily doing good but they weren't doing bad they were just kind of there and they were neutral you know and it was real people being neutral and the 
main focus of Westworld was about the good guys and the bad guys, you know, like the people at the extremes, the people who are trying to go on essentially quests and like improve the world. And then the other people on the other side that were just trying to like essentially like just pillage and, you know, be evil and kill and all of that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, again, it's that that gray middle ground that I'm always drawn to. Like how many of those families are there? You know, just kind of exploring the West, just being there for a couple days, it's their vacation, and then they go home without really affecting any of the stories. And it's really interesting because when you look at it, they mentioned one time how much money it took. That it's $40,000 a person a day to stay in there. And people are going as families to do this. So you, it also comments on wealth and how frivolous a lot of that can be. That when when you have the means to do something like that, how are you going to spend that? Are you going to spend it on something that betters the real world? Or are you going to spend it on something as as frivolous as taking a four four person family into a week long, you know, hundred and twenty, hundred and sixty thousand dollar a day vacation to feel something different. There's also something to be said about inflation and not knowing how much the money actually is worth because you never leave the theme park. We don't know what's outside of in the rest of the world. We don't know what the technology level is or what the time period is, and they do that on purpose. Mm -hmm. But one of the prevailing theories is that Ford is probably a Gen X type of person because of all of the like piano covers of the music yes. that are all throughout Westworld. And it's all music that people from like Gen X would basically identify with. And so it's really interesting to see those. That's something that a setting does. That's really interesting to see in small things that you never pay attention to, but it sets an entire tone for the show with the music that's being played and how it's being used because you can read into it or you don't have to. And those are the best ones because Westworld never slaps you in the face with any of these ideas. These are things that you essentially grasp and look into on your own as you're watching, but you don't have to. That there is an entire narrative with twists and pretty much traditional traditional television narrative being told but that's not where the cool stuff is happening yeah there's like all these subtle touches throughout it and then that paired with kind of the ambiguity of what the outside world is even like and what the time Mm -hmm. period is i just i love it like my mind can't help but work on this show as i was watching it like trying to test out all the angles what could this be who's real who's not real what's going on with consciousness like all of these things it's just this show totally completely appealed to me and i'm so excited for the next season yeah and i hate that they're taking so long on it but i'm also really happy because they're going to do it right because they're aware of the kind of show that they're making and the precedent that they've set with it exactly so hopefully that one ends up being really good and you know we might do like a rewatch and do an actual like in-depth spoiler full episode once we get close to season two but that's probably going to be like right. another year and a half here. yeah so we have a while some time. from now yeah um i want to touch a little bit more on mass effect andromeda and i kind of said what i wanted to say about the setting but i just thought it was interesting that sometimes you use up a setting right because the first mass effect trilogy like you can't really do a sequel in the milky way galaxy because of the way that game ends and it can be one of three endings but it would drastically change everything going forward and you would have to accidentally they would have to pick which one of those is canon and then completely redo the setting 
and then also ignore anybody's choices who did not fit into that narrative, which would be mm. horrible. Um, so that's why like Andromeda is kind of a soft reset of the setting. They had to put it into a different galaxy. Otherwise, it just wouldn't work. That's what I was about to ask. Did they ever pick a canonical ending? Because I knew there were multiples that, that people have talked a lot about. And without ever having played them, I didn't know if there was one that they accepted as being the ending of the series. No, it's supposed to be whichever one you pick. I mean, it's like for a game that took three whole games, hundreds of hours of you making decisions that matter, they really want that ending that you got to be the one that applies to you and is canon in your head. And I think if they ever tried to pick one, it would just it would be a horrible decision. Like it would just make the community so mad and it would try to like accidentally just discount so many people's experiences with that trilogy that it would be. It would be bad. It would be a bad decision. That makes sense completely. I I can exactly see why, because especially with a Bioware game, that was what they also did with Knights of the Old Republic or the Old Republic, because when they did an expansion, they basically put your character to sleep and then moved forward in time so that everything that you had done for your particular character still happened but you had to go through the new narrative with basically a time period where the world had reset itself that's interesting well and there's one other game that i wanted to mention too which is fallout and i mean i guess it's a series Mm. but mostly i'm thinking about fallout 3 and 4 because those are the ones i've played extensively and it's a setting that like i know a lot of people love but the setting is actually a really mixed reaction for me. Like, it's it's really interesting. And every time I start a new Fallout game, it draws me into it. But once I get, like, 20 to 40 hours into it, because, you know, it's yeah. a big, expansive game. Like, you can play that for so long if you want to. It just ends up making me, like, depressed. And it pushes me away because it's so gray. It's so bleak. It's yes. so just, like, downtrodden. And... It's not that I have a problem with like post-apocalyptic because you can do that kind of setting in so many different ways, which we saw with Zelda the other week. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic, but it's green and things have come back and it's vibrant again. And the world is healing and growing and moving on. And Fallout never feels like that. It never feels like they're moving on. It feels like it's just like this downward dark spiral. Yes, And that's kind of what I don't like about it because I love post-apocalyptic settings. That is one of my absolute favorite settings, but I like it in a time period further out than the Fallout games where the they've reemerged a little bit more and that the world as it was is ruinous. And the Fallout games are still so close to to the previous society that it's almost and I know this is going to be weird for me to say, but it feels almost like I'm playing just another Call of Duty game because I'm going into these buildings. I'm doing things that look pretty normal in the for the most part. And I want them to be ramshackle, broken down kind of ruins as opposed to this repurposed society. This I like stuff like Mad Max kind of post-apocalyptic if you're going to go through like far out, further, much further society than the the near future fallout yeah and when they go farther out and i I don't have a particular setting in mind but i've read enough and i've watched enough things that like when you go far enough out it's basically like a new society emerges and you can just barely see remnants of the old culture but they've been twisted in very interesting ways whereas fallout feels like 
they're trying to just keep on with the old culture. Like, not enough time has passed, you know? Right. Like you were saying. Like, it needs to be further out to become more interesting. So, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, and then the last thing that there's no way we can talk about, like, setting and world building <laughs> without touching on is Brandon Sanderson. Because, I mean, in my opinion, he is, like, the best world builder that there is. I, I can't yeah. think of anyone else who has such a variety of worlds that he's built that has so consistently delivered on fantastic world building in every single setting that he's taken a swing at. Yeah, he makes sure that everything that he publishes is a fully realized world. That's something that's really important. And he's known as the magic guy, that every world has a specific underlying system of magic. But all that does is allow him to use that as a base and then extrapolate what kind of societies and worlds would would evolve around it. Yes, he has that reputation, but that's not what all of his writing is about because no. he has stuff that's outside of that. You know, like his books about superheroes, like I love that series. <laughs> that Steelheart. Steelheart is yeah, the first the Steelheart one in that series. series. Is great. Yeah, it's really good. And th- that series is called the reckoners um but you're right i mean he does have a few different magic settings like there's mistborn and mistborn is really good all the way through um one thing that you had mentioned is that like his tend to be idea stories and not character stories because his characters are okay but it's never like i I guess i never identified with one to the point where i I thought they were just like an amazing character and i couldn't wait to see what that character did next it was more what the character does that interacts with the world with the whole setting because that's what he uses them to drive forward for the most part. He kind of pushes the setting forward through characters. And that's what I actually like about the Stormlight Archive, that the characters are pretty good. That there there are a couple that really annoy me that he writes. I mean, he writes them very well, but even the main characters are just okay for me but they push everything so far into the setting that i really care so much more about the stuff that happened in the past that i'm pushing forward to see what's happening in the main narrative just so that i can understand what brought them there and these characters are a means to that end that like colin callen however you pronounce the the primary male protagonist's name is all of the stuff that in book one for him i could have cared like i could not have cared any less about what actually happened to him but when say he got down into the trenches and was training a group of soldiers that that kind of thing was interesting because like i wonder what's around the corner i want to know what they're going to find down here or something like that what kind of powers are is this guy going to be able to get eventually that's what was interesting to me not any of that character dynamic or the relationships between them when he rarely ever has one character that carries yes. a whole book. He typically and sometimes he does, but he typically has multiple characters that he jumps between to kind of show you as a reader different aspects of this world and you start to put it together before the characters do not in that frustrating way that some people do because authors can definitely make that frustration because Mm -hmm. it's like you already know what's going to happen and the characters just have to catch up you never quite feel that with sanderson it's like you're getting little hints and you're slowly putting it together 
but it's like you almost always figure it out right around the time the characters do. It, it, that's how I feel anyway. It does me too. And with his different character threads that go through, he's very, very good about either making sure you're getting two different perspectives on the same story. Like in Mistborn, you tend to get they're in the same area. They're in the same geographic region and going through the same story, but from different angles or like you have in the stormlight archive, they are so geographically removed. He is using both each character as a way to see a different aspect and different culture within that world. And then also has interludes that don't tie into the main narrative just to show you another part of the world that is so far removed that it's just foreshadowing that it has a small narrative in and of itself. But you know, in like book four, you're going to need to know all of this stuff that he is setting up, but it's just more interesting world building that only vaguely ties in that's referenced in maybe something like two or three paragraphs at some point else but they just mention it as being oh this place is so far away we're not concerned about it but yeah maybe eventually yeah so if you haven't read sanderson you definitely should look look at his works pick a setting that you think sounds the most interesting and just dive in they're all pretty good honestly um okay you had one more thing you wanted to hit on before we wrap up the topic right yeah and pretty much like the aspects of the settings that make me interested in this, and I've said it before, it's verisimilitude and not realism that really makes me interested in this, that you have this thoughtful history, this organic, you know, landmass and geography that's been put together almost painstakingly, a realistic economy with people buying and selling stuff. It doesn't have to be, I don't care if it's credits or, you know, rupees or whatever, but if it makes sense within the context of that universe, I'm going to be invested in that but if you try early on to make me care about this world through politics and show me only character interactions and all of this so so-called important uh important character relations like game of thrones does this but final fantasy 14 did this really badly in the carathus region all of a sudden you're thrown in and there are all of these these houses that are fighting and warring and even in a game whose setting i was invested in i zoned out and started hating the setting and main story because they stopped world building at that point and they start they switch tact be like okay here's some politics that you should care about and i'm like i have no reason to care about this you didn't ever build it up and if it's logical and is a natural progression of that world building i'm great with it like like the stormlight archive does this very well and but it has to have that logic and verisimilitude where i can feel as though this world could exist on its own See, that's interesting because, like, for me, the things that actually make it matter isn't that. I mean, that's a, that's a nice bonus. I won't discount it and the work that goes into that. But it just it needs to be a good escape from reality. That is what uh, I'm looking for at the core. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a happy escape from reality. Like, I can right. deal with dark settings. I can deal with, you know, other things. Um, and it can be either character driven or it can be big idea driven because I like a lot of, like, hard sci-fi that is very almost like dry but the idea (laughs) at the core of it is so interesting that it keeps me going 
And that's fine too, as long as it's a good escape from reality and I can totally just like hook my mind into that and shut my mind off from real life, that is what I need. That is what I'm looking for at the core of it. And what I find interesting about that is that Every once in a while, those two line up in like the Ink and Bone series. Rachel Kane did a very good job of making this world extrapolated out like, oh, yeah, this is what the world would uh, be like if the Library of Alexandria had had done this. That's that's really cool. But those characters are also really interesting. So it can draw you in on either of them. And you and I both found something in that one that we loved. Yeah, you should check out her Weather Warden series. You would probably I like do. it. Yeah, I need you're... to really read those. You're overdue for it. Okay, let's dive into our geeky offer of the week. This week, we have Audible, and I can't talk about world building without turning around and recommending Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. This is the Stormlight Archive that we've been talking about. It is one of the only high fantasy settings that Beach actually likes, right? I love it that this setting makes it for me. I am totally bought in on this until the 10 book series is done. And it's, I mean, it's a high fantasy setting. It's, they are long books, but they're very interesting and they're very good. And the setting is basically a world where there are storms that rage across the world all the time and they kind of come in waves. And if you are caught outside in a storm, it will kill you. Like they're that level of just. This is hurricane level yeah. storms that go across land. Yep, more than that even. And there's something with them that the storms have like energy or spirits or whatever. And you kind of have to figure it out as you read through. And then the other thing that like goes along with it is that there are these things called spren in basically mm -hmm. everything in the world. And so like if somebody's feeling an emotion, they would have like, you know, anger spren coming off of them or like happiness spren coming off of them. But there's like, you know, rock spren, like there's spirits like in the rocks or in the floor or in the everything. And so it's it's kind of a tie between like, what are these spren? How are they in everything and part of everything and part of day to day life mixed with the fact that like there's something going on with these storms and they're spren in the storms, too. So mm -hmm. what's the tie together? And it's like anything beyond that, I start to give away spoilers. But that's kind of the basis of the world, wouldn't you say? Yeah, really it is. And it doesn't come across as goofy because it could be really, really goofy if like every time somebody was angry, anger sprint popped up and it was like a cartoon of having circling anger sprint around their head. But it's not like that. It's very natural the way that he builds it in. Yeah. And there's also kind of like... There are people who end up with not quite superpowers, but kind of superpowers because of some of the things in the world that become fascinating. I guess yes. that's the way to say it without giving away it anything. It is fascinating. Yeah. Okay. But you can go and get that for free at audibletrial.com slash geek to geekcast You guys get a free book. We get a little bit to help support the podcast. Everybody wins. It's excellent. With that, it's time for our weekly geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What do you got this week? I actually downloaded Card Thief after you recommended it last week, and I've played it quite a bit. It's a very good game. It's a stealth game, like you had mentioned last week, where you're making your way through a card dungeon, and it's a puzzle game that doesn't necessarily feel like a puzzle game to me, and I can play in just a few minutes. I really like it, where it's not frustrating, it is just fun, and it's definitely worth the two bucks. And I don't like stealth games. Like, remember from the Hitman uh, episode that I'm terrible at stealth? This is the kind of stealth game I can play. This is on my Geekery, too. It's, I think I played it the second most out of all the games I played this week. Okay. And it's fun. I really like it. Um, 
card crawl is still probably my favorite ios game but i can easily see this becoming like a regular game that i'm playing and i think you said it was only like two bucks right yeah it's it was a dollar 99 yeah it's it's totally worth it at that price and it's i don't know it's cool if you if you like card games if you like you know grid-based stealth mixed with a card game there's a lot there to dig into and for only two bucks it's pretty easy to recommend to just pick it up even if you don't end up liking it yeah and i don't tend to pick up mobile games just willy-nilly and it's very good i like this one a lot i'm glad i did but you've been playing wii u also right yeah i've been playing a lot on the wii u since i beat zelda um splatoon i finally installed it so splatoon i had when it when i borrowed it they said make sure that you play with the motion controls on and motion controls and so i played it and i was like okay i see why motion controls can work in this game it's definitely a nintendo style first person or third person shooter really i i see why motion controls work but i don't like motion controls so i'm gonna put it on the stick i went immediately back to motion controls i hate it with the joysticks i despise it i'm terrible at aiming that way i don't know what happened i feel like i'm a completely different person but i really do like the motion controls a lot better but splatoon is really fun i'm not really seeing a whole lot of replay value for myself though does it is it all multiplayer like i've been doing is it just a shooter kind of arena shooter like this Basically, I mean, there's a whole single player campaign that I played through and the single player levels are fine. Um, The single player bosses are really cool. So it's worth playing through that campaign just to do the bosses, in my opinion. Um, And I hope that there's more of that in Splatoon 2. But in terms of the multiplayer, it's basically what you're seeing. Like there's not a whole lot else outside of it. Sometimes they do special events, but I mean, there's not like a huge depth beyond what you first experience with the multiplayer okay because it's fun but i don't feel the need to constantly play it like a shooter like overwatch where even though you level up even though you get new abilities and and weapons and things like this i don't feel the need to constantly go back and maybe it's because i haven't played enough of it but it's fun i do enjoy it i see why people were like yeah this is this is totally new and different and fun that I really do like it. It's a good game. Well, you do unlock weapons and you do unlock different like not gear, but like clothes and attire and yeah. things and they have different abilities on them. But really, you're mostly like unlocking it to look cool if you want to right. look cool. Um, and that doesn't typically hook me very hard and doesn't sound yeah. like it's working for you a whole lot either. The reason that I'm excited for Splatoon 2 is because I think this is going to be a really good evergreen kind of palette cleanser game. I can see myself playing Nintendo Switch for the night. And then being like, oh, I could do a round of Splatoon before bed. Right. You know, like playing one or two rounds of this at a time is about right for me. Whereas like my kids can play down and sit down and play this for a really long time. But that's not typically the way that I played it. And like just the Splatoon being portable and being always there and being faster than the Wii U. That's honestly. True. You know, like less loading time, all that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm going to play it consistently, but not in very big chunks. That's kind of my plan for Splatoon 2. Okay, I can totally see that being being way better on the Switch than it is because the loading times and then the weird like Ink World City TV stuff that went in uh, and it won't let you skip and you just have to watch these things yell at you and tell you to stay fresh and be cool. I'm like, oh, stop it. I just want to play a game. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah that really annoyed me yeah it annoyed me but also my kids love it so it's like there's yeah. trade-offs you know there's different things for different people and then i also started playing donkey kong country tropical freeze Ooh. it's so good it is Have you that's played a really this? good one yep it's so good I was all in on Donkey Kong Country when it came out. It was one of the first things that I may have talked about this on an earlier episode where I was all in on the first Donkey Kong Country, just paying attention to every pre-release thing back in like 1994 or whenever it came out. It was great. I loved it. This feels like playing Donkey Kong Country again. It is so good. I love this game. I cannot tell you enough how just both nostalgic it is to be able to play Donkey Kong Country, but at the same time be like, oh, this is a this is an awesome platform game that they've put a lot of of love and heart into. It's just fun to play. Yeah, the Donkey Kong games that have come out recently, the Donkey Kong Country ones, they're all really good. And they haven't gotten a whole lot of like attention outside of video game press. Like they never took off in a big way. But if you like platformers, like all of them, I can easily recommend all of those games. Is I haven't played Donkey Kong Country Returns, but I borrowed that one on the Wii as well. Is it good? Yes, it's also good. Awesome. I can't wait. Cool. Um for me this week, I said Card Thief already. It's a really good one. Um and I I had one of those weeks where it's like I just could not find something that hooked me. And so I kept jumping between things. And I actually ended up knocking a bunch of things out of my like my, you know, backlog to do to check out type of list that I keep for games. Yeah. So I did uh, Dynasty Warriors Unleashed and I played about 10 minutes of it and realized that it is written. OK, so when I play games on iOS, I'm usually listening to a podcast. If you yes. make a game that will not let me listen at the same time, I am not going to stick with that game. There's no way. And that's what happened with Dynasty Warriors Unleashed. Typically, you know, you go into a game, it boots up, it has all the sounds. And then there's an option where you can go into the options and mute it and turn off all the other sounds. And then yes. if you go play podcast or music over it, it will actually play over it. And you can go back into the game and then you're good forever. And Dynasty Warriors Unleashed didn't do that. So, <sighs> like, it was, it was a hack and slash. It was fine. But I literally only got 10 minutes in. And then I realized that it didn't have the options I needed. And I was like, well, that's a no for me. And I deleted it because... I'm not going to just listen to the game music. I need to listen to a podcast or an audiobook or right. something while I'm Is playing a mobile, mobile game? game. Yeah, it's a mobile game. Yeah, then that's that's absolutely unforgivable that there there's entirely too many people who do that. I remember when iOS put that in and it was an Android feature before allowing you to play stuff over other apps. It was a big deal for a reason. Yeah, it's a really big deal to me and the way that I do mobile gaming. So that was like a hard no for me. Um, and then I played Blaster Master Zero because I kept yeah. hearing a ton of good things about it. And I keep looking for more games on the Switch. Really, I'm just kind of biding my time until we start getting Mario Kart and Splatoon 2 and stuff. But it was $9 on the Switch. And I was mm. like, oh, this got so much good buzz. So I picked it up and I thought it was like an 8-bit style modern game. But it turns right. out it's a remaster of like an old 8-bit game. Mm. And it feels like it and it plays like it. And I had never played it before, so I have no nostalgia for it. So it's kind of like, uh, I kind of wasted $9. So I moved on. I played A King's Tale on PS4, which is uh, another Final Fantasy 15 tie-in. Do you know about this one? I have only vaguely seen anything about it. I don't know what it is. Okay, it's an like pixelized hack-and-slash game is essentially oh, okay. what it is. It controls a lot like all the other hack and slash games that you've played on like super nintendo 
you know yeah or like golden kind of, axe or something like that yeah or like turtles in time or whatever okay, you know just yeah. beat em up games and you're controlling king lucis and okay it, when he was young with the other characters that like were with him you know so like right. sid and that one bar guy from that city that i don't remember his name and <laughs> you know yeah. all those classic characters from final fantasy 15 that i don't remember any of their names which doesn't bode well but anyway <laughs> it was a hack and slash i played it for like an hour it was fine it was not great it was free so i can't really complain but again it just didn't grab me so then i moved over to planet coaster because I had Planet Coaster, and I tried it out, and it was... I didn't delete it. I didn't hard bounce off this game. I had a soft bounce off of this one mm. because the tutorials aren't tutorials. They are tutorial videos, and I don't want yeah. to sit there and watch videos when I want nope. to just play the game. So there was no like interactive tutorial. It was like you can either jump into the lowest level challenge or you can watch a video, and I tried both of those, and neither one was something I wanted to do I wanted an actual tutorial to teach me how to like interact with this game and the controls weren't a hundred percent. Like I couldn't just jump into it and do it. It wasn't super obvious. Uh. So I set that one down and I said, okay, I'll come back when I'm in a mood for this. Cause eventually I will be, I know. Um, I jumped over to torment tides of Numenera. I played a lot of games this week. <laughs> um, I've wanted to play this game. I've seen a lot about it. Yeah. And this was one that I kickstarted a long, long ago. So I had it already. I didn't pay for it recently. And it was okay, but I don't mm. really like isometric, like, third-person isometric RPGs in that old Western style. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. all the games that all felt the same. That's this one. And it's so, like, dial... Or it's so um, text-heavy that I almost wish that it wasn't the kind of game it is. Like, I wish it were a pure text adventure because I would sit oh. there and I would read this game, you know, without any of the visuals. There's something about having it be so text heavy, but also have like, I have characters on screen that I have to control and move around like an RPG that I just don't like. And I, I couldn't huh. quite put my finger on it. I was like, I wish it almost went more one way or another. Like, either really make it in this 3D world, right? And show me the things that are happening or get rid of all the visuals and make it all text. And I think either of those games I could have enjoyed, but the game that they actually made doesn't work for me. Is, does that make any sense? It's kind of weird. It does, but it sounds really interesting to me. It sounds more interesting now just because of that hybrid kind of play style. I bet you would like it. Knowing the kind of games you like and knowing the RPGs that you used to play, I think you would really like Torment, Tides of Numenera. Awesome. I'll give that a look. So what I actually ended up playing the most this week was Shovel Knight because Shovel yeah. Knight is an amazing game. And this is like the third time I've played through it and I'm almost beating it again. So, wow, I, I don't know. This is probably one of my most like played games start to finish over the last. Well, since I've been an adult, since, you know, there were games that I played over and over and over when I was a kid because those were the only games that I had. Right. Um, Every yeah, everybody has those. Everyone has those. After I got out of that stage and had, you know, money in my teenage years to start buying my own games, honestly, I think I've played through Shovel Knight more than I've played through any other game because I just love it. It's such a good, solid platformer in the old, like, 8-bit style, but it's modern standards, but it definitely feels like an old game. It's almost like Mega Man-ish, but not. It's, it's really good. Have you played it? It doesn't feel like Mega Man to me. It feels like Castlevania is really what it feels like to me. And 
I bounced off of it pretty hard. I like it. It's good, and I totally see why everybody loves it. But those modern sensibilities that they've put into it, the the more character development kind of stuff, I didn't want. I just wanted to go straight through as a as an old Castlevania style platformer, and I didn't get that. And so I I bounced off of it, but I totally see why other people love it for that. Yeah, and it's some of the modern stuff that like that's what really brought me into it. You know, if it was like I always feel when I go back to old platformer games, whether it's on like NES or Super Nintendo or, you know, emulators usually, they always I always feel like I'm fighting with it a little. Like there's just modern conveniences and modern standards that they're missing. And yeah. Shovel Knight doesn't have those, but it still has all of the good parts of that stuff. So yeah. Oh yeah, super good game. It is. It's a it's a really good game. But that's it. That's what I had for Week of Geekery this week. You can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. And if you want to get email updates about any of our network's podcasts or listen to them, you can sign up at geek2geekcast.net and you can check out all the different shows we have there. We've just added Geektitude with Joe Hogan. We also have the Comic Box with Rob and Liam. And then there's Geek Fitness Health Hacks with me. It's awesome. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And I blog and podcast at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeks. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the lascivious. Liam the lascivious? That's what you're going to go with? (laughs) Well, the the languishing lascivious Liam of Langley. I don't know. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. Yeah. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek Podcast Network, where you get all your comic book news. We talk comics. We talk comic book TV shows. We talk comic book movies. We talk comic book... I don't know. What else do we talk about? Comic book toys. We talk comic book toys. Comic if book it's video ga- games. This is true. Ha- we talk comic... Handkerchiefs that are comic books. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> So so slap on your underoos, grab your favorite comic book, and tune in to The Comic Box, where we air episodes every week-ish. Yeah, so join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah. <laughs>